Flat Out RC time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia, the land of the lockdown. I'm going to have a bit more to say about that. Uh, I've got a bit of a beef. Uh, I'm going to share a bit of an opinion. You may like it. You may not. So stay tuned for that. Uh, whilst I'm thinking of it, because I always forget to remind you to subscribe to this podcast. Don't forget, click that subscribe button, no matter what platform you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. Apple Podcasts seems to be really popular. I was looking at some of the numbers the other day, which, by the way, the numbers are looking great. Not that I care too much about the numbers, because I'm just doing it for fun, and I'm enjoying it. Having chats with a lot of great people, and got a great person again this week. Uh... Mark Stewart is his name. Mark comes from uh, down here in Victoria. I know him through the jet flying uh, sort of community, but uh, we'll have a bit of a deep dive into his aero modeling activities. Now, before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, before I have my little rant, which you're probably going to hang around and listen to because it's going to be a bit of fun. But uh, I just want to remind you of a couple of special offers that I've managed to wangle for Flat Out RC fans, followers, subscribers, etc. So I basically asked these companies, said, look, have you got anything to offer the, uh, offer the Flat Out RC family? And they said, well, we can help out. So the first one is if you're in the market for a petrol engine, otherwise known as a gasser, let's be honest, a lot of us refer to them as gassers, uh, got a special offer for you, uh, the NGH Engines range. Have you ever heard of them? Well, brand coming out of China, been around since about 2010, and they are a specialist manufacturer of two- and four-stroke petrol engines. So their two-stroke range starts at 9cc, goes all the way up to a 70cc twin, and then there's a four-stroke range, which I think comprises about three different models, starting at 30cc and going all the way to the 60cc twin inline four-stroke. Now, I actually went onto YouTube this week to listen to what that motor sounds like, and it is a perler of an engine. Now, with those scale guys looking for a good quality sound, NGH engines, 60cc, twin in line. Gee, it sounds good. So anyway, uh, quality kit, um, Walbro carbies throughout. They, they front mount a lot of the carbies, actually, especially in their two-stroke range. Maybe even their four-stroke as well. Don't have a photo in front of me. But... Um, some really good good range of engines, uh, and the quality is really good. Now, the, Eddie Edwards from RC World told me about these engines, and he and he said they're really good. Now, Eddie Edwards has been on the scene for a long time, uh, was has been one of Australia's greatest um, pattern pilots. So he knows when he sees an engine, he knows what what good is. But anyway, so Eddie is the owner of RC World, and RC World are offering flat out RC listeners, followers, etc., a ten percent discount on the NGH range of engines. 10% off all the new... Actually, there's a heap of them in stock because uh, um, RC World has just started to bring them into to Australia. So if you're in Australia, you want to grab a discount, a 10% discount, just use the coupon code FLATOUTNGH, F-L-A-T-O-U-T-N-G-H, at the checkout. When you when you add the, uh, the, the product to the cart, you'll see a little box there once you get to the checkout to add a, a, a coupon code, and it's FLATOUTNGH, and that will get you... A 10% discount, a big thank you to Flat, uh, not Flat Out RC. Well, yeah, big thank you for me for organising it on your behalf. 
Um, I'm not getting any kickbacks. I'm just helping helping some people out. Um, but uh, RC World, big thank you to RC World. They are located in here in Geelong. Now to visit their website, visit rcworld.com.au. That's rcworld.com.au. And then you can search for the NGH engines. You'll find them all there, the entire range. And you get 10% off when you use the code FLATOUTNGH. And the second special offer, um, I wrangled with Peter Goff, who was on last week's podcast. I said to him, hey, Peter, after we recorded, I said, you don't want to give the the, uh, the followers a bit of a discount? He said, yeah, I can do that. So Scale Aero Products, if you didn't hear last week's podcast, uh, Peter Goff started a little business on the side and he's doing laser cut kits. Uh, predominantly, it's the main, the main part of the business, really. And he's offering flat out RC gang members, we'll call them, uh, a 10% discount on all kits. Uh, all you need to do is use the code flatout 10 uh, F-L-A-T-O-U-T-1-0 and you'll get 10% discount off all the any of the kits that you purchase the laser cut kits from Scale Aero Products visit scaleaeroproducts.com.au I think for memories I should type this down in my notes so that I don't have to keep on checking but I'm sure it's Scale Aero Products because I've checked 9 million times now um scaleaeroproducts.com.au, I am 100% correct. So jump on board, get into one of those scale projects. Uh, lots of different models available, everything from gliders to, um, sorry, I'm just saving that pass, that, that web address, so I don't have to look again. Uh, yeah, uh, warbirds, um, civilian planes, some aerobatic planes, some old timers, gliders, you know, there's a massive range and, and Peter's constantly adding... Uh, Adding to that range, he's, he's representing a bunch of different, um, bunch of different uh, plan builders and that kind of stuff. So you've got everything from Zeroli to um, Zeroli, 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 one of the two, um, and the other one was uh, Jerry Bates. Jerry Bates, he's telling me a great range of planes. Jerry Bates is authorized to cut those and sell those valley aviation jim papino plans he's even got an aeroflight aries that i've been really really keen on because oh, actually i was looking at my aries that i built way back when so uh they're currently what 120 dollars for the aeroflight aries which is pretty much the price it used to pay for them back in the day but uh yeah you get 10 percent off so just use the code flat out 10 one zero at the end there and you'll get that 10% discount. Remember, just at the checkout, you put that code in and it'll deduct the 10%. So a big thank you to Scale Aero Products. Peter Goff, well done. Eddie Edwards, RC World, thanks a lot. NGH Engines, Scale Aero Products. Maybe if you're smart, you buy a laser cut kit, NGH Engine, off you go. Well, now to my little rant. This is something that uh, has been getting on my goat in the past week. Uh I've actually had two goes at trying to record this piece because I, I, my first one was too angry. The second one, not that good. So now I'll just be more succinct. I've had a day to think about things. Uh, the We're currently in a lockdown situation here in Melbourne, in Australia, and uh, due to COVID and all that kind of stuff. And we can argue the toss about lockdowns and whether we're doing it the right way and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's one of those debates that nobody's ever really going to know because well, we're going to go on the experiment and see what happens. Well, We've chosen a path, so be it. I think one of the one of the issues for me is the observation that um, some of the aero models out there in the community aren't really doing the right thing as far as I see. So 
Um, again, we're not arguing with Toss about the government positions and stuff like that, but the restrictions that are put on us for whatever reason, and it's up to all of us to stick to those reasons to see whether they work or not. Uh, but I find that I, people that I even know personally, friends of mine that seem to disregard the regulations. We see um, a lot of flying clubs are closed. There's a lot of argument as to whether clubs should be open or not. But the regulations that allow them to open are very restrictive. You must have be fully vaccinated. You can have no more than five fully vaccinated people. If someone turns up that's not vaccinated, then you can only have two. Um, so that means you've got to check vaccination status. You need to check where they came from because there's restrictions on travel restrictions and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got to manage those limitations. So it's very hard for a flying club to do all of that. So a lot of clubs have chosen to be open. Now, I know there's one club that opened here in Melbourne and straight away there were some people that decided to go to the field that probably shouldn't authorise to be there and they had no no regard for the regulations or whatever. And what that does is that club may have to sh- close now because they've shown that they can't trust the members. And uh, I know I've been in a situation with one of my clubs where they've said, well, we don't trust the members because last time people didn't worry about the rules and all that kind of stuff. And that, that's great if you want to be selfish and um, disrespect other people and, and, and the government and the laws that are the, of the day, that is great. But um, don't think that everybody's going to play ball with you. So, and even some people I know that are traveling, you know, we've, got, we've had like a 15 kilometer radius travel limit. And I know people in aero modeling that are traveling across town to go and pick up products and visit friends to start engines on planes and do all this kind of stuff. And again, I just think it's a bit selfish. Um, we are in the middle of a pandemic. It's not good. We we will be free. Uh, we will be uh, at some point in time. And, and we're getting near here in Australia with this chasing a vaccination target. Um, and so I suppose my message is to everyone out there, especially in the aeromodelling community, I know it's frustrating. I know we'd love to be out there flying, but the reality is we can't at the moment. So let's just work through the process and let's just not be stupid about it because what will end up happening is if people start to disregard the regulations, then your club is not going to open. Even when they can have more people at the field, if you don't earn that trust for your club, then uh, it's not going to help. And the other thing we know down here in Australia, and it's happening around the world, that the opportunity for people that aren't vaccinated to participate in a lot of different things is not going to be there. And it could happen at flying clubs as well. Uh get vaccinated if you want to go flying pretty much, I reckon, because even though a lot of those regulations aren't in place, it's inevitable that many clubs out there will sit there and say, well, we have an older demographic. We need to look after them. Let's just be responsible and let's get get the make sure we've all got the vaccine and keep it as safe as possible because we know that we can still pass on COVID. We can still have some issues with COVID even if we're fully vaccinated, as we all know. The data is all there. Um, I'm a believer in the data. I'm not sceptical about the data. I think the data makes us helps us make good decisions. So sit in there, people. We will get there. Just try to do the right thing in the meantime uh, because that's all we can really do. So my blood was boiling a little bit when I saw people doing the wrong thing and the word spread very quickly. As soon as you know we hear about that situation, we're a small community. So let's just look after each other and look after our hobby. Well, now to a brighter note. To, oh, I'm so glad to have this guy join me on the on the podcast. His name's Mark Stewart. I met Mark uh, a number of years ago. I actually did an article on uh, one of his model planes, a Phoenix Waco, um, and he uh, is a lovely guy. 
really, really lovely guy. And so I was scouring my Facebook thinking, oh, who can I get on to the podcast? I said, I'll get Mark on because Mark helped me a lot um, on the day that I'd made in my my um, my jet. Um, so he really had some helpful advice, as did uh, Greg Escort, who flies with Mark as well. Uh, so Mark's uh, been in the hobby for quite some time. Uh, and he, he tells this story. It's quite an interesting story. And uh, he... I know him as a jet guy. He's very big into the jet scene at the moment, but um, you know he does fly prop planes. He's got a you know, full full gamut of models, really, when you think about it. But um, he's a good guy with a good story to tell, and and uh, a lot that can um, help us out. So you know, he we do talk a bit about getting into jets, and he gives some of his advice, especially around maiden flights and things like that. So uh, a good bloke, Mark Stewart. So over to my chat with the one and only Mark Stewart. Well, I've got a friend of mine on the podcast today, a gentleman that helped me a lot when I made in my jet, but we're going to talk a lot about his aero modeling history and what he's been doing and where he's going and all that kind of stuff. And it's Mark Stewart. Mark, thanks for joining me. Andrew, thank you for having me on tonight. Well, look, I know I, I know a bit about your flying activities, but we're going to play a bit dumb here and I'm you know going to take people on a bit of a journey. But before we do that, tell me about how did you get started in aero modeling well from me from a young fellow actually uh andrew um i loved aircraft i did and uh from probably from the age of about 16 on we started off with the old pt19 control line trainers that used to be out there and we used to try to get them to go as fast and around in a circle and it was it was great so we started off there and then probably we moved on i think my first remote control plane i was probably around about probably about 18 um was uh the old pilot kits that are still around i still see them floating up on uh, on rc trader now the old pilot sort of a trainer yeah. kit there built one of those up and uh going back to when i was when i was about 18 that was pretty expensive you know back then back then and uh, didn't have a great you know deal of money so that was my my big my big purchase built it and i got it all ready first flight absolutely smashed it so uh <laughs> Absolutely, it was gone. Yeah, it was. Wait a second, slow down, slow down. uh, I got a a couple of questions, right? (laughs) So first of all, you got this PT nineteen, those control lines. In every hobby shop, used to see at least one sitting. They did. Yes, I just remember as a child just going to these hobby stores, and every hobby store had one: the black, the blue, the yellow, and it was plastic, wasn't it? Absolutely plastic. Yes, yellow and blue. But okay, so you like. You like planes, but then you end up getting this control line plane. Did you have other friends that did it, or? Okay, yeah, it was my my brother and I. I've got an older brother, about six years older. We both used to do it. Um, so he was he was older. He was the more experienced. Um, I was the junior. So uh, we both had them, and then you know we used to we used to you know tie the old skyrockets onto them and things like that, and you know get a bit fancy and try you know the dog fighting with the with the mm-hmm. ribbons behind them. And uh, it was great. We did that. We did that for you know a couple of years, and it was just that moving on to the next stage, you know. So oh, I'm sick of going around in a circle. How about we try, you know, the remote controls? So uh, got the first remote control. What year would that have been? Uh, I would probably say. Well, I was about. I say I was about 18. So I'm now 57. So uh, yeah, we'd be 60. I was born in 64. Would have been around uh, yeah. 81. 81, eight, yeah, 81 probably, 81, around, around yep. yeah, early 80s. So I got into that. And, uh, of course, you know, I, I just started an apprenticeship, electric, auto electrician apprenticeship. So, uh, 
you know, had a little bit of money coming in, so I went down to the hobby shop and uh, got my gear and, uh, you know, built it up. Once I'd finished it, uh, you know, I drove it up and down the drive. I was driving the, I was driving the no, neighbours mad, driving this plane up and down, got it all ready, and uh, I wasn't in a club or anything back then. I don't, I don't actually think there were many clubs. I grew up in um, in Ashwood, which is quite close to Jordanville, Mount Waverley, around that area, and uh, I didn't even know a club. So off I went down to the netball courts with the plane, with my <laughs> nitro fuel. The netball, yeah, netball courts. courts. Yeah, well, like, yeah, well, no idea about how actually, you know, these things fly, right? I'm just, I'm just used to going around the circle. So uh, went down there with one of my friends and, uh, you know, we set it up and I thought, yeah, this looks like a great runway, no problem at all, you know. Ripped it down the netball courts. I think there was four of them in a row there and uh, took it off. Absolutely no idea. No idea whatsoever what I was doing. Panicked, you know, up stick, down stick, cross. The thing was doing all sorts of fantastic moves and uh, bang. You know, it ended up uh, straight into the netball court, yeah, at whatever speed it was doing, you know, and it started off at like, you know, three foot long and ended up coming home about one foot long. So you're telling me that you didn't even... You didn't even like slow down when you built it. Said, "Okay, so this is the elevator. We'll run it through your mind." No, but take no. It. Mark, was, was really, see how stupid uh, boys are when they're eighteen. Well, exactly right, exactly right. So uh, it was sort of wow, there we go. And uh, so I ended up building another one, which I never actually flew. I ended up just selling it because um, I thought, "Oh, there's no way I'm going to do that to it again." So, and then of course there was a bit of a break, you know. Um, girls came along, you know. Mm, then cars. they got married, cars, yeah. children, houses, and there was that big break till probably around about, uh, probably maybe uh, early forties. So, uh, and uh, the sort of you know, girls, my my two girls were starting to get a bit older, a little bit more disposable income. Bang, straight back into it again. So, uh, um, always had the love for it, but you know, just couldn't quite afford it through those. Um, young you know 20 30s you know years and then right back into it now and uh, fantastic so uh when you came back yep you oh you, well, you obviously didn't know how to fly when you came back so what was what was your process then to get back the into process it? yeah exactly right the process was that um i had a nephew and uh, he'd bought these um uh i think they're like electrofuns and uh, they came a little, a little like stick high wing trainer electric thing came with the remote control. They ran about, I don't know, $130, $140 at the time. He'd, he'd uh, bought one of these, been flying it. He goes, came down and said, Uncle Mark, hey, you've got to have a crack at this. We'd moved into a new place down here in Mount Martha and uh, there was a whole lot of vacant land around us. So we went up there and he, he goes, have a fly of this. And I went, oh, there's only three channels. How hard can that be, you know, like? Got a rudder, got an elevator and a throttle. Okay, no worries. So gave it a go and, uh, yeah, crashed it again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, went down, bought him a new wing and uh, came back and thought, no, this, this, I've got to get the hang of this. This can't be this hard, you know. So sure enough, persevered from there on and uh, um, bang, off we went. We started flying those around and, uh, of course, you get something like, you know, these electro funds, they're like, a, I don't know, maybe a 600 mil wingspan so they're quite small but they did come with it you know a, a little remote control and stuff like that so started off there back into it again and we you know we flew those then and as you do you get used to flying them we were getting quite good at flying them you want them to go faster so you went from NICAD batteries to like lipo batteries and then you worked out that if you put bigger batteries you burnt things out so you went to bigger motors all those things 
got these things going as fast as you possibly could. I used to remember going into um, uh, Addy's Hobbies all the time and uh, going, I need a new wing. So I, I had this very good, started to get this good relationship with Addy's Hobbies down there. And um, he'd go, right, so he'd have all these spare parts for me and I'd come in and I'd say, yeah, I needed to go faster and faster and that was it and it moved for there. So I went from there and then all of a sudden I found something that had ailerons and I went, holy moly, what's his aileron business? Well, I'm only used to rudder and elevator, <laughs> you know. So I went from there and then bang into ailerons and I remember the first time I flew, again, it was another one of these little kits you bought that came with the plane, came with a battery charger and another radio. I ended up with about six radios that, you know, are all useless now, of course, but uh, they were good at the time and uh, they were, and uh, started off with that one then. So, bang. And I remember making a comment down to Addy's. Um, there. I said, mate, I'll never fly anything that's got a wingspan bigger than, you know, 800 mil. God, you'd be oh, kidding yourself yeah, if you're yeah. in it. Yeah, you know, that good sort one. of stupid comment. Oh, yeah, good one. It does. Rem- even Wayne still reminds me of that one from down there, Wayne Newman. says, I remember when you said you wouldn't fly anything bigger than 800 mil. Well, <laughs> guess what? You know, like 2.7 metres later, yeah. um, wingspans, are, I'm going, yeah, okay, I take that on board. Yeah, stupid comment. But anyway, just moved on from there. And my brother and I used to just keep flying up there and um, we used to get on eBay and there was these little foamy warbirds. So we'd, we'd buy, a, you know, a P-47 or a Spitfire or a Fokker Wolf or something, you know, and they were quite cheap to buy on eBay back then and we'd end up buying two or three each. We'd have, we'd come down on a Saturday, we'd have a barbecue here, a few drinks, and then we'd go flying. And it wasn't until we kept on smashing everything we bought that we realised it was much better to go flying than have the barbecue and a few drinks. <laughs> tip, for y- tip, tip for young players on that one. Yeah. Definitely yeah. if you're going to fly, no alcohol whatsoever because, boy, your skill and uh, is not as – yeah, you do think you're a lot better than you are when you've had a few uh, few beers in you. So uh, we, we said, right, so the first time we came back with a plane each that we hadn't smashed, we're going, how good's this? So then we just moved on again. And – we started, you know, getting a few of the uh, Hangar 9 kits, the uh, 46 size. Then we got into the real big stuff, you know, the 60 size, which was big back then. And uh, we, everything was electric. I, I've never flown, actually, apart from when I was 17, and I, I couldn't really call that flying, a, a nitro motor. I started off with electrics. And uh, so, of course, you know, all my 46 and 60 size planes were electric and were getting better and better. And I remember um, I actually, Dom Biviano, uh, you know Dom very yeah. well, and um, I actually uh, met him remotely uh, to actually flying, and he said, oh, you know, this the Nepean club down there at Tukuruk, you really should join it, you know, like there's some good people, they'll teach you the, you know, actually how to fly properly, and um it's a it's a great way to actually get into the sport. So, oh, it sounds that sounds pretty good. So, anyway, um, I ended up making a phone call and I went down and saw them and I had you know like three planes that I'd put together, all my electrics, and uh, off I went. Couldn't believe it. It was the first time I'd actually ever been flying and came home that I still had the same amount of planes I started with. So that was that was absolutely brilliant. And and then it's just grown from there. So, and then I, of course, I met Greg Escort, who was um, also down there. And I was probably the last into the jets. Um, our prop stuff, and I loved my warbirds. Um, so I was always, you know, with the P 47, the Spitfires, and the Mustangs. And, um, and they'd say, oh, you know, we've, we've started going off to these jet events. And this is sort of probably jumping maybe five years or so, but we've been flying for a fair while. 
And, of course, I've gone, oh, no, no, Jets. It's too elite. It's too elitist for me. You know, it's too it's – too, no, they're not, they're not my type of people. You know, I'll just keep flying the prop stuff and things like that. Anyway, um, it got to a stage where I went, you know what, we were up around – we were up around Wangaratta my wife and I, for a bit of a break. And I said, look, I'm going to go down to Wangaratta Airport. I know, I know Greg and uh, Dom are flying down there. Went down there. So um, went down there, actually met some of the people down there and thought, what a fantastic bunch of people. They couldn't have been more helpful. There was not what I expected it to be. And then, again, that just grew. So I joined the VJAA. I went for my props. I got my first jet, which happened to be an Excalibur. Um, which is a, a great training jet, and uh, um, I got it certified. I bought it secondhand. Actually, I think you bought your Viper secondhand too, didn't you? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, so I bought that. Um, got it certified down at Parks with Wayne Newman, and then I thought, right, you know, I was pretty nervous, of course, and got it done, and then I thought, right, I'm ready for my first jet, mate. And I actually ended up being, it was the, I think, the 20th anniversary of Wangaratta Jets. So... I rocked up for the first day of the four-day event with uh, with Greg and Dom. And, of course, man, uh, I was just blown away by the amount of planes that were there. And here's me with my Excalibur trainer. And I'm thinking, oh, God, these people won't even give me the time of day. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong. So they were fantastic. They were fantastic. So, again, it's, it's, it's just grown from there. It's grown from there. So, yeah. It's interesting that uh... – so we're going to talk a bit about jets because I do you know I, I know you as a jet guy, but I also know yeah. you as a prop guy because you know I had your Waco in the flat out RC magazine. So we'll talk and, a bit about yeah. that. But the mm. but there was an interesting comment that you made that sometimes people look at jet flyers and they create this picture in their mind of what these people must be like because we all know that turbine jets cost a bit more money than than the average plane. They're, they're not the cheapest yes. um, part no. of aero modeling. But mm. there really does someone go, train a plane, jets, let's go crazy. <laughs> and so I think that with that expense that people have in those planes that um, people can look from afar and, and assume that this person thinks that they're better than everybody else because they've got a turbine. Yeah. And yep. I've never, you know, I think I, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm a bit smarter than the average punter that can just sit there and just, you know, go, oh, well, they've got a turbine, they must think they're better than everybody else. And <laughs> And I, I had a similar experience that I went to the Wangaratta Jets to take some photos for when I had the magazine and stuff like that. And I went, this is awesome. Like, this is mm. something really, really special what's happening at this place at the moment. And my whole journey to getting a jet was literally to be part of those events. I, I'm actually not that interested in flying my jet at my local field. I just want to keep it as an, an event jet where I get turn up to the jet events and fly with the other group of people. And it blew my mind away how much fun it was and how, how great the guys were. And even if you had the Excalibur, because some people got mega tens of thousands of dollars mm. jets there, but it was it didn't matter. It really, there was nobody sitting there going, my jet's better than your jet and look at me, I've spent a fortune on my F-18 and blah, blah, blah. It, yep. it was like, it's just another turbine. Just exactly, exactly right. And, and all the flyers, all the pilots up there um, couldn't have been more helpful when I was first, you know, first starting off. And now that I've been flying at those events a fair bit and, you know, my skill level has increased, then I want to actually be able to part, you know, give that off and uh, and be able to help somebody else who's getting into it. Um, that four-day wanger at it, which you did a great um, a great uh, video on that, uh, I, still watch, I still watch that all the time, um, that 
I actually had I had my uh, my Euro up there and I had my Excalibur. Um, I hadn't finished my new one yet, but I also had one of the new Phoenix um, uh, turbine uh, Hawks in the back of my trailer, mm-hmm. and I hadn't I, I hadn't actually brought it out or anything, and it was and I was um, just somebody I'd never met before. Actually, like, they saw me in my trailer and they said introduced himself to me, and I said I said you know, we had a bit of a chat, and he said look. You've got one of the Phoenix Hawks in there," he said. "They've been, you know, they've just been released. And uh, um, how do you find it?" And I said, "Well, I actually, I've brought it up to get it certified. But so far, I think it's absolutely value for money to get into turbines. I think it's a really good, a really good um, plane to get into. It was uh, like from Model Flight, it was about eleven hundred dollars delivered, um, plus your, you know, your servos and turbine. But the kit itself was really complete. Came with your retracks and everything like that, and they were all pretty good quality and things like that. And uh, so I got it out and set it up on the stand for him, so he could have a look at it. Well, I think within doing that five minutes and doing that, I think I had about a dozen people. So it it just showed there was a lot of people who were having interest, and they'd seen a lot of the really expensive planes, and they're going, "Geez, how can I get into it?" But then they've seen also on the other side of it, well, here's a here's one of the turbines that you can planes you can buy that you know it's it's in reach of um a lot of people um and they were really interested so it actually showed a different side of it so i was more than happy to talk about that with them and uh and then of course took it out and uh, i i flew it got it certified and uh i'm still flying it it's a it's a really good it's a really good turbine plane to get into and you know it sort of was in that you know that cost factor that is you know was affordable for a lot of people so yeah. what engine so, in that what size motor did you put in that well it's actually got the same as your viper it's got the little 100 um rx but you could fly it on 60 it was just that i had the uh, 100 rx um under my shelf you know at, at home and uh, I, I put it in it and it was it again like you know there was a few of the concerned about, you know, the thrust pipe on the Phoenix. They thought it was a little bit small and things like that. Well, I've proved that, you know, and I've flown it probably over probably two dozen times now, and it's been a, it's a great little jet and a really good jet if someone was interested in getting into it. Like Phoenix, Phoenix put out some good kits, as you know. I've got the the Waco that I've that you saw down at Wings over Western Port. I've still got that. And uh, with the Sado in it, and that is still flying fantastically. Um, and and this again, another a good Phoenix product. Yep, it's a good entry level jet to get you know that you can buy and get into. So that's that's actually interesting. That um, I, I mentioned this, I think, in last last week's podcast. How I've got two friends that are building those Wacos at the moment, mm. and uh, you know, and that model was a really striking model. It's it's, oh. it's it's got presence at the field. It's the scheme works, um, but it's it's just something about it that really stood out. That's why I, I approached you to say, look, can I take some photos and do an article on this thing because this is yes. really really nice. And you know, Phoenix Models is uh, you know I consider them to be that middle of the road kind of kit builder. You know, the everyday yeah. kind of company. And I find that some of their scale stuff is just getting better and better. And absolutely, I think that you know. They're they're a solid kit as well. It's, they're not they're not they're not. If anything, they're over engineered than under engineered. <laughs> I think with with the way that mm. they, they they put them together. Yes, definitely, definitely. Like you know, there was the family of Seagull, Phoenix, Black Horse, and I always used to think, say, out of those three, 
you know, Phoenix was about the middle and then Black Horse was that just that little bit better. And then you went on to your Hangar 9 stuff and uh, and things like that that was sort of that next sort of step up. But the Phoenix himself, for what they give you for value for money now, absolutely fantastic. And so I'm still flying my Waco with the Sato in it and it is still going still going strong, fantastic. And I've had zero issues with all the, the basic products and all the hardware that that came with. I haven't had to actually replace anything in it. Um, everything has been of a good quality. So, yeah, that is that's that is a good testament to a, to a kit, you know. So, and that's going on now. You first saw that at Wings over Western Port. So that's going back probably, um, what are we, about, about three years three now, years, is it? At two, least three, three years. At least three yeah, years. And, and it is still going strong. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, what, really good. Now, you've got the Sato in that, haven't you? It's radio. I've got, the, I've got the Sato 60 in that, yes, yes. Um, that's that. It's been an interesting motor. Um, I don't know if it was just me not used to Sato motors as such because they're, they're a beautiful motor. But when you convert a glow motor to a petrol um, then and you still use bushes instead of roller bearings or needle rollers, um, that and you, you know, so your oil content you need to keep up in it to keep it lubricated. I Maybe I, I wasn't the best person for that because I was used to my you know os petrol motor or something or a lot of the dles which you know they, they all ran at about 30 to one where bang uh the sato was a, you know you ran it quite oily to get it to work and I, that was probably me but anyway um i just ended up putting a fuel pump on it and making sure the baffles were good on the motor and that was a big thing for the cooling of the motor and uh it's it's been fine ever since really good so uh it's got a sound. There's a radial's got a sound, you know. That's that that it suits that plane really well. So it's it's actually that that the concept of sound of a motor is a really intriguing one. That you know, I was I've got this. I managed to wangle a deal with RC World where uh, I got flat out RC uh, you know fans a ten percent discount on NGH engines that come out oh. of um, China, and they've got a mo- a motor that's an inline twin four stroke. Is that the 60? Yeah. And I went onto YouTube because I just wanted to hear it because I thought, mm. I wonder what that would sound like because when you build these scale projects, you really want something that's got a nice note, don't you? It's amazing how we chase that sound. It is. You're absolutely right on that. When we first start off, you know, start off, you know, you don't mind them sounding like a whippersnipper or something like that whipping through the sky. But as you start building more and more and, you know, your kits, you, you're after not just the look of the plane, but you want the sound that goes with it. And a lot of that is your four strokes, whether it's twins or singles or radials, whatever. There is yeah, definitely um, a, a noise that you do want the plane to sound like. So you're absolutely right. Yes. One of my favourite noises is, I don't know whose model it was, could have been, Riley Sills or Mark Sills flying is the thing that they're these motors that go, they sound like they go blonk, 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 blonk. <laughs> and, and there's just a sound about that. You can almost like hear everything moving inside the engine, but it's like, it doesn't feel like it's revving very hard, but it's just this blonk, blonk, yes. blonk. I think, oh, that's cool. I really like it. But it's funny how we do that. And then, and then of course, we love our turbines and the, the, you know, uh, the sound of the turbines, you can have a small one and a big one, and they're still great. There's no not a lot uh, of difference I find between no, the different sizes. I re- agreed. Like, I don't have any of the big ones. I've got um, a couple of 100s and uh, a couple of 140s, and it doesn't matter. 
it's just there's a smell, there's a noise. There, the whole thing from the time you – and there's no, by the way, there's no this flicking the props over oh. to, you know, where you can just actually just use your trim switches to engage it and then throttle up or down or throttle up, depending on which turbines you're running. Fantastic. It just sits there. You're looking at it. It's spooling up, you know. You see a little bit of flame spit out the back and then, oh, it's, it's definitely it, – it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. So uh, – I've got some questions about jets, and and I know the answers now. But I'm thinking about the <laughs> questions that I had in my mind, and I used to ring up Greg Escort and ask him questions or whatever. And between the two of you, you set me on on the right path, which I'm forever <laughs> grateful for. But the the a jet getting into a turbine jet can seem daunting. Uh, yes. On on many many fronts, it's it's you know if you if you've been a prop flyer, you sort of get it. You know if you've been flying electrics, you get it. Then moving from say to get to gases, you get that uh, you know pretty quickly. And then moving to turbines, it's like a bit of a different step, and it can be quite daunting. But once I realised that when I got, picked up my jet and I opened it up and I by myself and I looked at it, and went oh, that's easy. Turbine mm-hmm. air trap uh, ECU battery for the ECU oh. Oh, it wasn't that hard. And then, like you said, the ease of use of no flicking props, just, you know, nope. I put my trim switch up and throttle, full throttle, and off it goes, the start sequence starts up and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, you know, what was your first experience? You know, did, did you, were you daunted before you got into jets? Absolutely. A- absolutely. You know, from the fuel, where am I going to get the fuel from? Oh, right. Yep, okay. Yep. Uh, hang on a second. Uh, I've got to get the fuel. And I was lucky enough, um, uh, Greg and Dom were able, they actually, uh, you know, set me up and said, no, look, when you get there, you can go down and there's a Bowser and you can fill up and things like that. And this is the oil use. This is where, you, you know, you you got that wealth of experience out there that the things that you don't know, yes, you can Google them and things like that, but there's nothing like talking to people when you go to these events to find out what oil they use. And everyone's got an opinion. Um and from that, you take all that information in, and then you just process it, and, and you you come up with your own you, you come up with your own fuels you want to use. You know whether it's diesel or whether it's Jet A or Kero or um, and the oils. You know, boy, oils. You could talk a whole a whole podcast on oils because people have got it. You know, opinions on on that one. But you know, you find a good oil that you can you can use and where you can buy it from. And bang, and yeah, I was very intimidated. Look, my hands were shaking so much after on my first flight, 20th anniversary of, of VJ up, up at Wangaratta. And I actually, there's, there's two things actually on this one. Um, I, I took off, which was, was a pretty ratty takeoff with my Excalibur. And then when I came in to land, you know, I landed, ran off the runway into the mud, into the grass, and it stopped, you know. And Greg said to me, at the end of the day, Mark, you and I, let's just go stand out on the runway. And I went, yeah, okay, no worries. So I didn't have a really idea why he wanted me to do it, but I thought, oh, fair enough, I'll, you know, I'll indulge him. And uh, at the end of the day, we went and flew out, we went and stood out in the middle of the runway and I went, how the hell did I ever run off this runway? It's, yeah. it's like 40 feet wide and two kilometres long and I managed to find mud and grass. <laughs> so... That was the best thing. A really good tip before you go fly, go stand out on the runway and see where you're going to bring your planes in, and it'll give you an idea when you're flying, a mental idea when you're setting up to land or take off, how it all works, you know. So uh, I've actually taken that on board, and it doesn't matter what club I go to 
or if I go to an event, I'll always go for a little wander out onto the field just to have a look where I'm going to be taking off a landing from because it gives me a mental picture when I'm flying now so that, oh, yeah, no problem at all. I'm, you know, I've come in from the east or the west or north-south, whatever. Yep, no problem. If I aim for myself, yes, I, yep, gives me an idea and bang, you know, you'll be spot on on your landing. So that was probably a, a really good tip from Greg he gave to me. And uh, I thought, why is he taking me out on the runway for, you know, it's a runway. But no, fantastic to do that. And uh, it, it, it set me up for flying flying prop and jets and whatever I do, wherever I go, I'll go out and stand on the runway. So uh, mind you, I'll wait till there's no one flying, of well, course. But, yeah, uh, I'll, yeah, yeah. but I'll go out just to check it out for myself so it helps me out. So, yeah, so that was a good tip he gave me on that one. Well, he did exactly the same thing with me. And, of course, the day that I was doing my maiden at Wangaratta, there was a, a bit of a crosswind and whatever, and, and he said, come out here. I'm standing there and he goes, look how much space you've got. Yeah. And, and there was a whole bunch of tips. It was actually, it was really, the, the, the stuff that you told me, that Greg told me, mm. I literally, I had a plan in my mind as to what I wanted to do in that maiden flight, which, was, which, which I think helped, that mentally I'd been preparing because... I say to people that a jet is an aeroplane. It has wings, it has a tail, it has a nose. The only difference between that and a prop plane is the the, the thrust, that it comes from a turbine mm. rather than a propeller. But I knew I could fly a plane. I knew that I knew what the ailerons did and I, the elevator and I could land planes. I've done, I've done it thousands of times. So it is just flying another plane. That was the first thing that I, I – that's the tip that I give to people. It's just yes. another plane. Right. Yes, there are some subtle characteristics, and I'll get you to talk about that in a minute. But, mm. but yeah, so I, I, I was I was confident that I could fly the plane. It was just a matter of easing my mind so that I was relaxed enough because it's one of those things that it's the cost that we put in. That you know, the, 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 ah. we, even though I got my my jet at a good price, I can't complain. But but it's the cost that we put in that, that puts us off. It's the same when you fly a hundred cc aerobatic plane or something like that. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing. So I, I played it through my mind as to what I wanted to do. So I was going to take off and I was just going to tr- do a trim out of it. I wanted to um, uh, see what happened when I put the flaps down um, to see whether that was uh, whether I need to trim. And I'd set up um, different flight modes so I could individually trim each thing. And fortunately, this Viper jet hardly needed anything. <laughs> and then I wanted to do a practice approach to just get my bearings in. Yep. And then I was pretty much going to land or I ended up doing a bit of a uh, roll and a, you know, Half hey. Cuban or something because I got bored, but 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 then yeah, and then I and during that entire flight, I had your voice and Greg's voice ringing in my ears. Mm. You know, um, Greg said with these Viper jets, you've got to watch out; you can't get them too slow in a turn; they'll tip stall kind of thing. And so I had that running through my head. And then because there was this crosswind, it was a bit of umming and ahhing. But my experience was that. There was a lot of um. There was a bit of a delay for me to get in the air because I had to do a few things to the plane, and then That's right. I didn't touch the plane. Nobody let me touch the plane. It was like they all jumped in. There was hands <laughs> everywhere going, "Oh, we're gonna do this and whatever." And so by the time I wanted to actually go and fly it, I was so keen to fly it. And before I did, I walked to the to the to the flight box by myself just to look, just by myself. Go, okay, yep. just run it through and look what the conditions are like. And I was sitting there going, "Man." This is so wide, this runway. Yeah, there's a crossing. <laughs> it's not that bad. And you no. know what? I just kept on saying to myself, if you're over the black stuff, you're fine. It's all you have to be yes. is over the black stuff. Yes. And so and that held me held me um in uh in good stead, I think. That, and 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 the two flights that I did on that day were fine and, and now I'm I'm eased, you know, like I know how the plane yes. handles. Um mm. and, and everything everything will be okay. 
So now there was a question I was going to ask you. What was the question I was going to ask you? I was going to talk about something. <laughs> I've, inter- I, I've rudely interrupted uh, your your discussion. No, no. Well, it it would be it would be about what would be about the process of uh, what you go through, and it doesn't matter whether it's props or jets, but there is a process you go through. One, you knew you're playing back to front, right? And uh, you go through, and you just make sure everything is spot on. I don't know how many uh, times I've I've actually spoken to people, and you know. They've lost their plane and we just start chatting about it, you know, and they'll go and I'll just ask a question like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, it goes, oh, we're not fair. It was, you know, everyone always blames radios and you know, I, 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 I never blame a radio or anything like that. You know, that if, if you lose a plane, you know, so be it. And uh, you move on if you and if you dwell too much on it, then you're not going to get and go and fly the next day. So, uh, you know, you, you move on and things like that. But I find a lot of the time, a lot of problems people have with planes is that it's just it's just a setup. Like, you know, their batteries might be, you know, five years old, six years old, you know, and oh, yeah, but they were all right when I charged them two years ago, you know, and uh, haven't flown for a while. And, of course, the first time they fly it, you know, they've been up five minutes and all of a sudden the batteries just died and bang, off there goes their plane. So it's that initial, you, you must know your plane. And uh, all the gear that's in it, and the setup, and you know your radio, you must you must have a good grasp on you know all the trims and how to adjust things, you know, with, with your radio. So and that's good. And you, you learn that by just talking to people. That is the that is the best thing about this hobby. Everyone is willing to help. And uh, I know at our club, and it'll be the same where you are at parks, whether you go to a jet meet. Everyone is just absolutely, you know, if you've got a problem or you're not sure how to set something up, you just ask and there'll be there'll be somebody there to be able to help you. So you've done that. You've set your plane up. You know it back to front. And then um, I'll talk jets now, but we always we always have a spotter. Of course, you know, when we fly the jets, just so that if there's other people up there and it also gives you another perspective when you're flying around. I always say to people when they're, you know, they're starting off, fly small. Don't fly this really big circuit because you can, the jets are a lot quicker and they can get out of perspective, you know, really, really easy. So, you know, fly your small circuit so you get used to it. And uh, and then once you've got, you know, once you've got it up and you've got it trimmed and you're happy and you can do hands off and it flies straight and level, then you might try something. But try and keep that circuit small for the first few times you're flying just till you get used to it. And, uh, and then, bang, as you've said before, you know, then, you know, once you're flying and you're going to do your approach, you do your gear check, you come past, you make sure you've got three wheels down or two wheels down, depending on what you're flying, and you go into that landing circuit. And whether it's a crosswind or a headwind or what, whatever, um, you know, uh, you've, you've come around and you do that base leg, and, and this is when you start looking at the plane, seeing how it's handled. If it gets a bit mushy, you know, you, know, you need a bit more throttle. You've got a spotter there with you, and most most of the times that person with you has, you know, got a fair bit of experience. So he'll be there, be able to, you know, talk to you and help you with things like that as well. I know when I when I fly new jets, like when I fly the Hawk, um, my new one, which I'm I'm building or it's built, ready to made, and um, you know, I'll I'll have the I'll have either Dom, Paul McCarthy, or uh, Greg with me because they're really good experienced pilots and, you know, they'll see as I'm coming around flying it, whether I'm going too fast, too slow, you know, don't put the flaps down at this speed, otherwise it'll dive, a whole range of things. So, you again, you're using that, you know, experience of people with you. And uh, and then, bang, you know, you're on your final and really, like, when you've got two kilometres of runway, you know, the first few flights, does it matter if you fly past yourself? You know, we always talk about you always land between 10 and 2 on the clock. 
that's that's the ideal place to put your plane down. Does it matter on the first few flights if you you know come in a bit hot? No, you're just getting used to that plane. So, uh, and a little tip I was always given was when you actually come in to land, um, have the plane. It almost looks like it's facing you. So that way, when you're standing on the on the side of the strip, if the plane's facing you, it gives you a really good perception of, of how it's coming in. Otherwise, if you have the plane too much on its side, you can end up off the strip on the other side of the runway. So they always said, no, fly towards yourself, and then as it gets closer, you can just do that final adjustment. So a whole a whole lot of stuff. So uh, yeah, it's. I'm actually, I'm actually, uh, I'm looking forward to my uh, maiden on my hawk now. Now that we've been talking, I know. So, I can't uh, wait. I can't uh, wait. I, I want to get back to Wangaratta and have a bit of a flight. The well, no. that question I was going to ask you was around, um, you know, when you are flying a jet versus a prop plane, what do you need to be mindful of? Uh, mindful of, of the distance it travels, definitely. Um, that uh, because the it's. They're perceptively quiet. People always think the jets are really, really noisy, but they're directionally noisy. So, of course, when they're coming towards you, um, they're actually fairly quiet. It's only when you they've come past you and you either throttle up or something that you actually get that really good, you know, burst of noise, which we all love. And so they're perceptively a lot faster. I've actually put a GPS um, on my Excalibur and also on my little my Phoenix Hawk, and um. I'm getting probably between 250 kilometres and 300 kilometres out of those planes, and that's huge, right? You just you, you just don't realise that that's the sort of speed that you actually you know can get out of these out of these aircraft. So, again, you've got to keep that circuit you're flying quite small, so that you keep the plane in perspective at all times, and uh, and that would be a you know for me that's a really good tip. And you know fly circuits. Know your circuits. So whether you know if you're if you're flying you know, your Cuban eights or or whatever you decide to do, try and keep those you know quite compact, and uh, and that way you've always got a good perspective because it doesn't take much with the flying jets um, to actually fly them too big and and too far away, and then you lose orientation, and it just makes that a little bit harder, you know, for you to be out of control. And plus, you don't start enjoying it either. So, and the whole thing about this is you want to enjoy what you're doing. So. If you can fly small, well, it's uh, it's funny. One of those um, it amazes me people that don't mind flying their their models high, and <laughs> I I can't I can't do it because I I've got a comfortable height that I could fly all day long comfortably with plenty of room for mar- margin for error and all yes. that kind of stuff. But I find that um, when people can get nervous, they will try to fly higher to be like you know ten crashes high. Oh, I definitely. think that it makes it harder on the eye, that angle of the eye, looking at the mm-hmm. plane, you can lose that orientation a bit easier. So I like to bring it a lot lower. And I found that I was probably doing, you know, 50-foot passes probably as I was doing my yep. circuit because it's just a comfortable height that I like to fly at. And like you said, like flying big circuits, I've got a philosophy of how I like to see my flights look. And yes. flying a big circuit is not, not something that I no. think that is, 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 you know, great on the eye. And so I will try to, to keep it a bit tighter. And, okay, you've got to have, a, you know, it depends on who you're flying with as well, if there's other faster mm. jets and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, keeping it a, a bit tighter is actually a, a pretty good um, thing. And when it comes to, say, picking a first jet, you said you had your Excalibur and they are a very mm. popular sort of first jet. 
is is that your recommendation? Is something that size, Look, that format? Pretty good, actually. Yeah. The um, again, uh, Excalibur was a really very a really popular plane. Um, they don't make them anymore, as you know. Um, but I think I think um, Tyson Dodd from um, Landan under Aerosports is now bringing in the boom uh, boomerang, Alarm and Sprint. So that would sort of be like that, you know, that trainer uh, twin boom plane. You don't have to worry about tailpipes and, and, you know, the thrust tubes and alignment. And they're actually a really good jet to get into. Two-metre wingspan on the Excalibur is a, is a, a good-sized jet that you can, you know, see really easy. They, there's no, they don't really have that much of a bad habit. Um, they do a really nice glide approach. So even if you cut the power, you know, way out, their, their glide ratio is fantastic, really good indeed. So, you know, they've got just one centre flap. So, you know, it, there's, they're an excellent jet to start off with, whether it's as an Excalibur, the, you know, the Boomerang Sprint or a Lant. That style of jet is really good. Look, your Viper is a, is a great jet, you know, to start off with. You're, you're an experienced flyer, but... Um, that the only probably the ha- bad habits I've seen with those is that because the nose wheel's right up the front, if you don't flare properly properly on your approach, then you bounce the front wheel and that causes a lot of issues with them. But first jet, yeah, I don't think you could go past probably in Excalibur or one, you know, some of the trainer twin boom ones, really good, you know. So uh, that would be my my choice, whether it's you know, Rip Max Excalibur or uh, you know, Boomerang sprint or alarm so well i found that um even if you want to get into jets you know some of them come up on the market second hand at really affordable prices for, for a model for a turbine yeah. that you know i'm talking three and a half thousand to, to max yeah. four grand for some of these excaliburs and absolutely you could they're the kind of plane that you just keep on going you know yes you know yes flight after flight you know whereas you know if you've got you know 10 grand up value in, um, in, a, in a model, you're a bit cautious. I don't want to fly it too much kind of thing. No. But, uh... Well, you, you also want a plane, Andrew, that you can fly at either grass fields or at the, at the you know, smaller airports. So, you know, you don't want to play, buy just a, a jet and go, oh, no, I can't fly it at the club or I can't do this because, uh, no, no, I'll just keep it for that one event. You end up having a plane that, well, if you could go through these latest times we've been through with COVID, You've got a plane that's just been sitting on the shelf for the last two years doing nothing. So you want to buy a jet that, if your club, you know, agrees that you can fly jets there, um, then you want something you can do, you know, at, at your grass field club or grass field events, as well as the runway, you know, events you go to like Wangaratta or Mangalore or some of those places. So getting getting one of those, you know, planes like an Excalibur, um, is, a, is a great way to get into it. You can fly it as much as you like to. I, I, I've got a lot of flights up on my um, – I think I've got about uh, – how many hours now? I think it's about 16 or 17 hours on the Excalibur now, and that's that's a huge amount of flights. It doesn't sound like a lot, 17 hours or you know on a plane, but considering you break it down into six-minute flights, that's a, that's a lot of flying. It is. Absolutely. And and it has been it's been great. Really good. And you know, that's just one and as you said, you can I picked up um mine, um, the airframe, really, you know, a good price. And uh and and just went from there. That was my first jet and I still have my first jet. I I, I fly it regularly still, so 
And I only got the um, Phoenix Hawk because I wanted to actually see what they were like. Now, that, again, um, probably not as robust with the retracts and the trailing link suspension as the Excalibur, but, again, um, a, a really good jet, no bad habits, um, which is funny for a Hawk because Hawks do have um, some bad habits, but as a, it's more of a sports jet. Um, tracks very well. Um, the gear it came with is good, and the kit was, you know, eleven hundred dollars delivered. So you can sort of, you know, move from there. But any of those, any of those styles of plane, you know, really good. So uh, again, for me, I I can't talk about, you know, um, boomerangs or or the Elan or the Sprint. But from what I see from people flying them, just the same as flying Excalibur, a really good yeah, robust good. plane to get. Yeah, really good robust plane to get into jets with. And then from there you can move on, move on to whatever you want. So, well, no. We're lucky in that whole jet scene now. It's it's a really vibrant scene and we've got, you know, there's plenty of manufacturers out there that can give us all sorts of different things. And, you know, if you want to go sort of that more scale route, you can. You can get, you know, dedicated sort of sport models that are aerobatics ah. and things like that. I found that my Viper jet, the way that I described it, was it was a heavy pattern plane, and <laughs> actually, that's very true. Yes, yeah, it felt like a track like my pattern plane, but it just felt heavier in the air because it is actually quite a heavy for its size. It's quite heavy or full composite, plenty of mm-hmm. fuel you're carrying on board, all that kind of stuff. That it did feel, you know, definitely felt heavier in the air. Um, but I suppose the only other thing I can add in there is, and something that we all know about, which is that turbo turbine lag that uh, I find that you've got to be a little bit ahead of yourself in front of the plane. Um, I had a I had a, a, an approach that I thought was going a bit long and I thought, oh, I better you know, go around. And I'll tell you what, even though it probably only <laughs> took about two seconds for the engine to spool up, it was, yeah, it was still- 10, 10 minutes. And but I was still calm because, like you said, plenty of runway left that I could have landed and it would have been wouldn't have been a yes. problem. It was it was over the black stuff, as I said. But um, <laughs> it finally spooled up, and I was like, okay, it's sinking still. It's going to come in. It's going to come up, and there it is. Off it goes. Absolutely. <laughs> and- well, actually, another little tip, Wayne, uh, that Wayne Newman um, said to me from Addy's Hobbies. He always used to say to me um, when I was when I was started flying my Excalibur, go when you come into land come in at just under quarter throttle or go down to idle just to know where idle is and then just bring it up, you know, two or three clicks. He said, because with the turbine, he said, from idle to actually get it to spool up to flat out is the is the longest lag. But he said, but if you just start off, you know, around quarter throttle, um, he said, he said they'll spool up so much quicker. And knowing that little bit of advice has actually got me out of trouble a few times when I've actually come in. So the the thrust you get out of it at quarter throttle when you come in and land, you know, won't make that much of a difference. Um, and it, the spool up time will just be, you know, it, it might, you know, as you said, it, it, it seems like a long three or four seconds when you go from idle to flat out on your turbine. But, it, but from, say, quarter throttle or just under, um, it actually bang. It might do it in two seconds, and that might be that difference between, uh, you know, putting it into the into the grass or whatever, and and keeping it going. So uh, yeah, that was a tip that I've always taken with me um, from what Wayne told me, and uh, yeah, and I pass it on to people, especially you know when they're coming into land, just keep a little bit of throttle up there because it does spool up so much quicker. Well, you've given us some really good tips there, uh, Mark, about flying jets and you know maiden flights and all that kind of stuff. Let's have a look at, at look at your hangar at the moment as it sits with all your model ah. airplanes. Well, you, you mentioned you got the Excalibur, so we got that out of the way. Yes. 
Yes. What else? Have you okay. Got? All right, so we'll start. I'll, I'll go through. I'll go through the jet, the jet family first. So, of course, the Excalibur. I've got the Phoenix Hawk. Um, I've got the Calf Eurofighter, or the Eurosport, um, and I've also got the T1 models, um, uh, one four seven five um, Hawk one hundred, which I'm just waiting to maiden. So, that's the jet collection there. Then, when I go into my biplanes, um, I've got the uh, third scale Tiger Moth. Got a nice little Torque Pro 70 four-stroke in that, so uh, plenty of power. Probably does a lot of manoeuvres that Tiger Moth shouldn't do, but, hey, it's a it's a good crowd pleaser, that one. Um, plus, I've got the, the Phoenix Waco with the Sato on it that you've seen, and, uh, as I said, still going strong. Then we go over and uh, into the Warbirds. Um, I've got the – actually, I've got the Black Horse um, uh, Wyvern, which is the – probably the, it was a counter-rotating prop plane. So, um, and uh, that that is a really nice flying plane, Black Horse um, kit, and uh, I've actually recovered it, changed the colour scheme on it, but the actual plane itself, really great, great flying plane. It's got the Black Horse um, Hurricane, 50cc, so uh, that's still going strong. Nice little DLE 55 in that, although as we were talking before, it does sound like a bit of a whippersnipper. It does need that bit of a bit of a different sound to it now. But um, Hangar 9 30cc bubble deck P47, um, which has got a nice little OS44 stroke in it. Now that's a nice, that's a lovely, that's a lovely plane to fly. So uh, dirtied it up. It's a, it's a, a very nice plane to fly. And then come on to the, um, I've got the Black Horse PC9 30cc with a nice little OS33 two-stroke in it, and that is a – that you talk about pattern planes. That flies like a pattern plane, that one. And uh, that's a beautiful plane to fly as well. So, yeah, and then throw in a glider, um, a nice about – about a nearly three-metre glider that pretty much sits up on the shelf a lot of the times. Um, and uh, I've also got the Extreme Flight um, Yak 54, which I got off um, – which I uh, purchased off Greg Escort, which – if you know Greg, he loves his bling, so it's got lots mm. of bling on it. It's an absolutely fantastic plane to fly that as well. So, uh, yeah, that's the collection. You've, so You've got a good collection there. I'll tell you what, as you're going through all those planes, I was just thinking about what you said earlier, where your prediction that you'll never have anything big. Well, I think you, yes. you were yeah, totally wrong, yeah. weren't you? Totally wrong. The funny thing was I still have that little um, electrophone hanging on the wall um, just to show me where I started off from. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, whenever I come back and I look at stuff, I go, yeah, that's where I started from, that little plane there. So uh, never say never. And uh, and it, it sort of it evolves, you know. You, you go through the stages where, you know, you're flying your high-wing planes, then you go to your low-wing planes, then your warbirds, and you're moving on. The whole thing's like a bit of evolution. And, uh, and of course, for, for me, um, the jets was the was the you know, the last stage of it, um, you know, 57 years old, and I figure I've probably got another good, you know, maybe I don't know five to what does that put me five to eight years of uh, good eyesight that uh, that I can still fly the jets at. So uh, before I start slowing oh, down a little bit, you got, so. pl- got plenty of time. I tell you what, <laughs> go and have a look at uh, some of the people that we've seen down flying there, um, Murray Ellis. Yeah. Oh, Murray, yeah. yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've, got to get, I've got to get Murray onto the podcast because he's a crack up when the two of us get he, talking. 
Oh, mate, he's a funny bugger, that's for sure. So uh, he tends to uh, start his planes up during uh, pilot's briefing. That's, so that's true, yeah. We're going to have a pilot's <laughs> briefing, and so Murray will start the motor up. Yeah, uh, yeah good absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's a great fella, so yes. But, uh, but see, that, that's the thing. The people you meet through this uh, through this sport is is great. That Wangaratta Jets event, the four-day big event, I that was the high, one of the highlights of my year, going to that event. Mm. Not that we've been able to go to many events this year. No, I know, lockdown, I know. But I'm just kicking myself. I was only there for like two days. That yes, I'm thinking I've got to go there longer. That that was just everything about it. Like because it's your opportunity to catch up with people and say good day and talk planes and and then at night going out for dinner together and all that and just having good quality time with with, yes. with people that have got the same interest. Yeah, it's just. And, and I think, and I've said this before, and I think one of these podcasts about there's something about when you go to a flying event, which is sort of involves one category. So, for example, it's a jet event. For example, it's a, a scale glider event. That it's it's like this concentration of like-minded people. Whereas you go to a fun fly event, and you're going to have the jet guys over here, the heli guys over here, the glider guys over mm. there. It's just got a, a slightly different feel when it's everybody's yep. on the same page. I, I've got this saying at the moment that all roads lead to turbines at the moment because I have, <laughs> I've, I've never seen such a boom in turbine flying. No, I know. It's, it, it's sort of like everyone's gone, okay, we've done about everything we possibly can. Right, now it's turbine time. And, and the other thing too is the turbine technology has come down. It's, it, they're very reliable now. Um, and, yes, they still cost a lot of money, but they're not as expensive as they were. You know, the maintenance schedules on them is, you know, 25 hours. And if you use, you know, good oils and, and, and depending what fuels you run on, um, you'll get that 25 hours plus no problems at all. And uh, they are reliable. They're also coming down. They're smaller now. They're more compact. Um, what you can, you know, the, the turbine planes you can get are a lot smaller now as well, where they always used to be the really big things for turbines. Well, you know, you can get something under two metres and, uh, um, you know, have a nice little, you know, 60 size turbine in it. Or, you know, they've got those little P20s. I know that Don Biviano's got this free wing um, uh, Viper. No, not Viper. Uh, what, um, they were the twin boom ones that they flew in the Korean War. Anyway, he's got a foam one of those that he put a little P20 in. Oh, really? <laughs> it's absolutely – it's a cracker. It's, it's a great little plane. Vampire? You know? Was it a vampire? A vampire. That was it, yeah. the vampire, yes. So, you know, he flies that down at our club at Nepean, and uh, it, it's great, you know. So it's really opened the industry up to a whole new range of things you can, you can buy. And – you know, a lot of these planes you can buy now, they come with the servos, they come with the tank, they come with the UAT, all the servo leads. Um, the, the prices for the smaller ones are, are quite, you know, can be quite affordable. And you can be up flying within, you know, two weeks, you know, or a week if you're really quick, you know, quick putting, putting the things together. I'm not that quick. No, so uh, I'm, I'm, I, take, I'm, I, I take years, <laughs> not hours I, or days or weeks. Oh, I take no. years. Yeah. I tend to pull them all apart even when they're supposed to be all finished and, you know, oh, I think I might paint this and make it look a bit prettier and, you know, get it all together. But that's the, that is the thing. So you're right. Um, turbines do seem to have uh, come, you know, leaps and bounds, you know. that we, we I would have never thought that we would have flown turbines at our club, you know. I thought that would have been out of the, the realms, you know. And, and, and I don't 
um, fly them over the summer months because we we back onto wetlands which become dry lands. So of course, you know, if something did go wrong, well then you know it's only a safety issue. But um, it's it was proved that they're actually you know they're actually quieter than a lot of the old you know little nitro motors. So they're directionally you know noisy if you if you throttle up, but coming towards you or just doing circuits, they are really quiet. So uh, that sort of was an eye-opener to a lot of people who thought that they were just, you know, noisy things that, you know, that, that uh, burned a lot of jet A. But uh, no, so it's re- the industry has opened up, yeah. It's, it's been great, it really is. good. And, uh, you know, it's, it's horses for courses. If you're not into jets, then you're not into jets. Oh, and agree. You know, if you're into flying 3D aerobatics all the time, then then go and do that. And Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. I'm one of those persons that I, I can't sit still. I've got to try different things, so I've got... <laughs> I've got every category, including a radio control yacht in my hangar. So um, <laughs> I've, I've got a, I've got a, a plane for all seasons, really. But the yeah. a, a quick question for you, because we were talking off air, you're a, you're yeah. a, um, a firefighter. That's your, your yes. profession. And yes. we, we hear a lot about, you know, lipo fires and, and, and uh, you know, in summer and, uh, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on on a lot Right. Of that? You know, definitely. Um, look, the charging of lipo um, – Probably lipo especially, uh, lipo not as bad. But, look, I nearly burnt my garage down. So uh, this is going back probably uh, maybe uh, maybe nearly 10 years ago. My nephew and I went flying, yes, up on the block of lands, up the back when they were all empty, came home. He, he said to me, I'll put, I'll put the uh, lipo batteries on charge for your Uncle Mark. Yep, not a problem at all. We're sitting upstairs and uh, having uh, having lunch, and all of a sudden I see this black smoke. We'll billowing out of my front garage door and I go, oh, I know what that is. Came down and by the time I'd opened the front door, my table was on fire, my t- plastic toolbox was on fire and it was all because the balance leads were charging two batteries. The balance leads had been plugged in into the, each, into the wrong charger. So, of course, bang, it didn't have anything to regulate to and, as you know, with LiPo batteries, once you get above, you know, 4.2 or 4.3 or 4 volts, they can be very volatile. So, uh, um, yes, look, if you're going to charge your batteries, uh, definitely, like I, I charge my batteries in a baking dish. I have a fire blanket over them. I have a smoke detector above it, and I have a, um, a, a, another fire extinguisher on the wall right next to them. I never charge a battery overnight. I will only charge the batteries as required, and they're stored um, you could say it's a fireproof box, but no, it's actually one of the, um, you know, a Bunnings safe that uh, a metal box that I actually store all my LiPo batteries in away from everything else, making sure there's nothing underneath it because when the lithium batteries do go up, they spit and they the lithium runs out and catches onto other things. Um, so, yeah, definitely when you're charging your batteries, never leave them unattended and have them in some sort of a, a, a receptacle that you know whether it's a baking dish or a tin a tin dish fire blanket over the top to keep them if something does go wrong bang you're covered because it doesn't take long once they once they catch on fire to become quite you know catch on to other things because they spit they spit their lithium out and it catches on to other things so yeah that would be my tip and never charge your batteries in your house Always have them either in your garage or or a remote to a place in a designated area. So uh, yes, we go to a lot of house fires that are um started not through our industry, but it doesn't matter that like they those um hoverboards, the uh, 
electric bikes, the, the scooters. Um, of course, you know, people get them, bring them inside, put them, plug them into the PowerPoint, and it only takes, you know, the charger to malfunction a little bit and bang, there you've got, you know, a, a pretty raging fire in your house. So, yes, that would be my tip. Well, I'll tell you what, you got me really scared. No, uh, it's not scared. It, it's actually just practical. Gotta, um, yeah, you just got to be responsible. The, the other tip I've got is never charge your batteries at a, whilst they're sitting in the trailer. The amount of problems. Oh, that, yeah. We had Mark Sills on the podcast who, who went to hospital after he got third-degree burns from his trailer going up in smoke when he was charging at an event and uh, selected the wrong chemistry or something on the battery charger and it went up. And um, and I've heard of other people being having near misses with that as well. So Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, because there's always a lot of flammable things, like model airplanes uh, sitting in a trailer. Agreed, absolutely. And look, and I, I charge my batteries when I go to an event um, in my trailer, but I have I have the the charger outside, and I have a again a metal a metal dish sitting on the drawbar, and again I still put a blanket over them when I'm charging them because I've seen what they can do. So uh, yes, I, I agree. Um, but again, you know, I don't, I don't want to make people, you know. Oh geez, I'm not going to use these things because you know they're, they're too dangerous. No, it's like everything you know that we do. There's an element of risk with all things we do. You just need to be able to mitigate that risk, and the risk is do it in a dish, put a fire blanket over it, and uh, you know, and don't don't leave them unattended overnight. You know, if you're going to charge them to go flying that day, charge them in the morning, go flying in the afternoon. You know, don't do it overnight. Go to bed, and then hopefully, you know, I'll be charged in the morning. No, no never do that. Ne- never, That's never leave them unattended. No, I've got this. I've got this habit of staring at the batteries whilst they're charging. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That's like it's like a kettle, isn't it? You go, oh come. On. Oh, no. Well, that's a good habit. That's a good habit to get into. Oh, it's so OCD, uh, but anyway, it's better. Nothing better wrong. Than no. Not- I, I tell you, it doesn't take long. You know, I I know from you know how quickly these things can escalate from uh, just a small fire. So, yeah, look, if you stare at your batteries, <laughs> I applaud you for staring at them. No problem at all. So uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. There's a number of clubs out there now brought in rules in relation to how we fly in summer down here in Australia because, as you know, it can get pretty hot and the grass dies off and mm. all that. Um, and I know that a few clubs have, have mm. you know, well, a number of clubs have said no turbine flying. Um, during yeah. the summer months, um, I've even I'm a member of a club where they're paranoid about lipos being used because they're worried about a lipo oh, fire. Really? If, if yeah, nah. if, if there's a if there's a crash, well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, look, really, I understand the 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 turbine one because you you are carrying a lot of fuel on board. You know the caro, and if it does ignite, yeah, you get a you get a, a decent fire. I'm not sure about the the lipos really. Um, uh, I've seen them. I've seen them go up. They out. They do. They're sort of contained. Um, I don't know about your club, but at our club, um, we've got trolleys that have got you know a dozen fire extinguishers on them. So you can ha- you can have you can have a plan where um, that for our club, I've, I, I I had said that you know we won't fly the the jets because we've got this wetland area that we look at we we look over um, and it gets dry over over the summer period. Um, so from you know December through to February, uh, we we don't really fly the uh, turbines through those months, through the summer months there. But lipos, no, look, I I wouldn't. Um, I don't think I'd be uh, not flying with lipos. Yes, you you know in a in a big stack, yeah, sure enough, they can catch on fire, but they are they're they're 
more of more of a contained fire. They're not a running fire like you've got a fuel fire with your keros and things like that. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that one. Look, I know all, all different clubs have their rules. We fly electric. We have a lot of electric flyers at our club, and they fly all year round. Not a problem at all. Yeah. Um, I don't so, know. This one club, the president showed me. He said, you know, down in the country, and he said to me, you know, he said, come and have a look. I want to show you something. He goes, this is a problem that we've got here at this field. Have a look at that grass. It's this really dry you know, stick-like almost kind of thing. Yeah. And they're worried yeah. that if any fire starts, it's just going to go through the paddocks. And, and look, and if, if you've got those areas, I talk about our wetlands, so it all depends on what sort of thing. Look, you know, one of the one of the best things you can do um, is to talk to your, you know, if, if they have concerns, talk to their local brigade. Their local brigade has got a, a whole range of knowledge and, you know, and they, you know, they can check for, you know, ground moisture um and things like that to be able to give you the best you know best advice so um but i'd probably say like you know if you if you're down there and if you've got a really strong wind and you're still determined to fly well they're the days that if something goes up that little that little grass fire is all of a sudden going to become a quite a fast running fire with a you know a strong wind if you've got a if you've got a, a relatively you know no wind day then you know well, if you think about it, that's the days that you know a lot of a lot of the you know fire brigades do their back burning and things like that for that because it's a controlled environment. So, I'd be talking to your local fire brigade really, if you you know especially the country clubs and things, or even down here, you know, um, it'd be a good one to talk to their fire safety department or get the local you know officer or captain down to the club and have a chat to them. No problem at all. So uh, I know I know at the jet I know at the uh, large jet events that um. You know, we've had the local brigade be there when we you know that the actual uh, weather has been, you know, on the warmer side. So use the resources that you've got, you know, and uh, and they're more than happy to give you, you know, tips and pointers and advice and, you know, the best way to handle things. So, yeah, that, that would be my advice anyway. Yeah, that's so. good. Well, I've got to I've got to ask you about your, uh, your Eurosport because a friend of mine, uh, Dominic, the head of the Peanut Gallery, that comes up regularly on this um, podcast because he's a peanut, absolutely not a peanut, and um, so he's bought a Eurosport, and um, you know it's a Delta Wing jet. Now yes. everybody tells me they're beautiful to fly, but yes. to me they seem like they've got some different characteristics to a traditional sort of you know, uh, they plane. Yes, they do. Um, I've got I've got a Eurosport, and I absolutely love flying it. There are characteristics on it. Yes, you can have high wing, uh, high speed wing stalls on them if you're giving them. You know, if you, a lot of people like to overpower their Eurosports, and uh, you know, unlimited vertical, and you know, a whole lot of things. I, I, I'm more of a, a sports flyer, so my Eurosport, the calf one's got a um, a Kingtech 140 in it. For me. That's a fantastic. That's that's a nice power plant. Really good for me. That's that suits my style of flying. Um, does everything I want to do. Um, but they do. You're right. They do have some characteristics. Um, you can do some really nice high alpha maneuvers with them. So with those canards at the front, you can actually you know dial them in on a on a slider or a or a knob so that you can actually change the the pitch on them. You can save so that you can actually start doing some high alpha maneuvers. Really you know really good. Landing wise um, on a on a delta wing, you know, especially the, the Eurosport, once you pop those wheels down, you know, they go into it almost like a bit of a high alpha approach. So the landing will always be rear wheels touch first. You know, they're, they're actually a fantastic plane to land. So uh, 
Um, I know my calf, if you if you get it off the ground a little bit too quick, they'll always drop a left wing um, on just as they get off the ground. I know Dom um, mentioned that to me before I flew it the first time. But, again, get a bit of ground speed up. And, uh, look, I think they're a fantastic plane to fly, a really good plane. So, uh, yes, if he's got one, good luck to him. I've never heard of anybody complain about a Eurosport. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they. I think they're a go. I, look, I like. I, I actually like Delta Wing. That since I've been flying it, and I've looked at some of the. You know, you've got your Raphaels and things like that. The same sort of style of plane. Um, and yeah, they, they again. I like it. Some people say that once you've flown a Delta Wing and you go back to a conventional setup, that you know you can have a few. You know, it's it's a little bit different. But you know, hey, it's all good fun. It's all good flying. So uh, no. I think it's, you know, the important thing is, like we were talking about earlier, mm. stop, have a bit of time to yourself to think about what you're going to do, visualise it. So yep. if you know that that plane's a little bit different, just stop and take the time to go, okay, now I'm flying this plane, what do I need to be mindful of? Well, you're like me. We live down here in Victoria in Australia and uh, we've been, I think we've now got the world record of the the area, the, the location that's been in <laughs> lockdown more than any other place oh, in the world. So we've done we've done really well. How have you keep, been keeping yourself busy with our uh, modelling during the uh, the lockdowns? I know. Well, um, it's quite funny. I finished I finished the um, uh, T1 models Hawk probably oh, uh, early, probably the start of the year, and it was like, right, I've finished it now, and I started it up. Yep, it all, it's ready to go, no problem at all. There was things I wanted to do to it, you know, like um, I wanted lights on it, and then I wanted to, you know, give it a bit of weathering and all that. But I said, nope, I'll just wait till I fly it the first time. Well, anyway, that got the better of me. So, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, I think I might start weathering. So, bang, that that gave me a week's work just mucking around weathering it. You know, so again, I was, I can I can spend so much time in my garage and and really not actually achieve a great deal. But hey, it's a it's a great way to spend time. Then I turned around and uh, thought, you know what? I reckon I might stick some lights on it. I remember seeing um, Paul McCarthy's F F eighteen up at uh, that Wang Jets one come in on that overcast day with those big, you know landing gear lights on it. I went, oh, how good does that look, you know? So, of course, got onto Boomer RC, grabbed a, uh, a one of their lighting units and a, and a, a lighting kit and uh, came home and went, you know what, I'm going to put that on it now. So, again, it was sort of, again, all these things I said I wasn't going to do, guess what, I did it. Because why? Because had the time to do it. There's a recurring theme here. Yeah. We just can't trust you <laughs> because you say, oh, no, we're gonna, no I'm not going to do that. And then you end up doing it. I know, I know. Yeah. And then it was, and, and then the maintenance on the planes. Every plane came off, and I went through everything, checking things. You know where, where I wouldn't have done it because I've been flying them. I just, you know, bang the wings on them and put them all together. And yeah, that's pretty good. But no, I actually went to the trouble and I checked all the retracks, and then I took the wheels and greased all the bearings or bushes what they had in them, and went through and just made sure all the planes were. Once we came out of this lockdown, we're ready to go, you know. So uh, and then was on to then storage charging batteries. Well, that takes time, doesn't it? You know. So, a uh, bang had all those done. So, yeah, there was things you could do. And then it was, you know, uh, I'd talk to the, I'd, I'd see what the, everyone else was doing. You know, have you got any other projects? And then we'd, you know, chat on the phone about what other projects they're doing. And oh, I've been, I've been doing this. And then it sort of had a flow-on effect. Oh, gee, I reckon that's a good idea. I might start checking to see what mine are like, you know. So there was a groundswell of things we keep ourselves occupied with. So, well, uh, yes. The only problem I've got is I'm on this, like, message group with two other guys in the hobby. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm looking now on my computer 
Since yeah. I've been on air, there are 51 miss messages. <laughs> They've been writing each other. And so now they talk, it's all model airplanes, jets and – Yep. And I yep. just write back, boring. People just might think I just say this, but you know, I don't really mean it. But before I got on the podcast, I felt really, really tired. Yep. And then I get on the podcast and I am buzzing now. I am full of life. See? It's like, this is great. Yeah. We're talking about stuff. A good guy on the line and oh, everything's <laughs> everything's good in the world. I'm even, even hey. I've got, I'm having feet. I'm having problems with my feet at the moment. I'm really sore feet and I'm just massaging my feet whilst I'm listening to you talk about jets. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Uh, see, there you go. See, so that, that's it. You know, that's, that, that's, what's, that's what's good about it, isn't it? I so, know. Who would have thought my life would have ended up like this, sitting on a podcast, uh, massaging my feet. Massaging your own feet. Massaging Oh, yeah, I don't, well, don't talk about yeah, mate. I've I've I've, I've got the old you know arthritis starting to get into the toes oh, and stuff. So yeah, so we won't talk about feet. No, no. Oh, I, so, what, I think I've got plantar fasciitis. That's what I'm. I've got to go and see a podiatrist. Yeah. Hey, but the other the other thing too, mate. Uh, another uh, one about being in lockdown. The gardens have never never but looked better. I reckon we have ripped. We we ended up. We've got a pool in our front in our front area, and of course, you know, with these new regulations, that you know, we've had to rip to, to beat the regulations because it's been in there 14 years. You know, yeah. we pretty much had to turn the place into a Lebanese landscape, and then bang, um, it's starting to you know, it's starting to come back now. So that's kept us busy, and that's the thing. If you if you've got something you can keep yourself busy doing, you know, it's not so bad. So, but you know, the other thing is. With this most recent lockdown, you know, it's been during our winter period and yes. the opportunities to actually go flying on a lot of the weekends and stuff haven't been that good, like oh, either no. windy or rainy. So we haven't really missed out on a, a, a heap of actual flying. But um, I do I, I do get on the sim as well. I've been keeping myself occupied, you know, get on the sim with some buddies and uh, have a bit of a chat. So that that I don't mind doing that. Oh, that's good. So, yeah, I haven't got a sim, so. Oh, you got to get a sim. There's some people like them, some people don't like them, but. Why is it that every time I, I go and practice on the sim, I fly better when in the real life? Hey, see, I just think anything you can keep your your thumbs active, hey, is a, is a good thing. Because uh, you know, I always talk to that when I'm when I'm talking to the to the, the boys. I always go, man, you know, I've got itchy thumbs. They need to get back out and you know, on the controller. So uh, yes, the other thing too that um I've found that since we've been in lockdown, I know more about my radio than I ever did. I, I I never knew all oh, the fun when you can just you sit there you know three or four hours is gone, which you normally can't afford to do when everything's you know open and you've got lots of other things. But when you're in lockdown and there's not a great deal of others, I have learned so much more about my radio and what it can actually do. Oh, I'm actually amazed. What, so, what radio uh, system are you using? Um, I, I run a uh, Spectrum DX18, and okay, yeah, uh, so um, there was things there was just things I learned about you know flight modes and. You know how to how to program in for gyros and a lot of the forward programming things I never really knew, and uh, it was and it was it was I mean wow. So then of course you know I'd ring up I'd ring up either Greg or Dom and go hey I've just worked out how to do this on the radio and uh, sure enough bang it was it was great. So that's been a that's been a bonus. Well I've got a project uh, for you. Oh what's that? With your DX18 because I got a DX18. Yeah. Remember when we were we were um, ground testing my plane, doing taxi tests and trying to get my nose wheel dialed in? Yep. And we were trying to work out how to add Expo to the nose wheel servo. Um, oh, Expo. Yeah. Like, remember, we wanted, we were trying to soften yeah. it around centre so that it wasn't as twitchy. And we, yeah. I think I, there's a mix or something that I've got, a, like a, a rudder to nose wheel kind of mix. And Yes. Yes, you can. And uh, um, we, we could. We could actually 
you could you could have like a, a you could have a takeoff mode and a uh, and a, a taxi mode so that it's not so twitchy on takeoff, and we could dial it down so that your rudder and your like you still want your your wheel and your rudder roughly about the same. But um, yeah, we we could we could um, put a little bit of a a bit of expo in there to dial it, it ne- down. It needs to dial down because on the ground it's just a bit too twitchy. You touch you touch the rudder when it's on the ground and it's 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 pretty twitchy. But um, so yes, yeah, so we just wanted that that nose wheel yeah. servo. Yeah, do you um do you run a lot of expo in your rudder? Um, on my aerobatic planes, of course, more than I would on the jet because the jets, yeah, pretty small. But the um, I do like rudder. That's the thing. I do. I am a big fan of of use of the rudder, and I, I really like. I don't like flying planes that like you know a slope mm. story that doesn't have a rudder just does my head in. But the um, yeah. So I do use a fair bit of rudder, and I, I like to feel the rudder working as well. So I don't, I don't need to put as much. Nah, that's cool. I generally hey, don't put as much expo that's on the rudder. See, I, I like a project, so not a problem. So if you can work it out, thank you. And next time <laughs> at a jet event, you can. Uh... No worries at all. Yeah, you, you, if you see me grab, if you see, you'll see me grab your radio and go. You go, what are you doing? I go, don't worry about it. It's all right. Just leave it to me. Hey, you're part of my pit crew. Like I, my friends are picking on me that no, you don't even touch it. Everybody else touches your plane, does everything for you. I go. They're my gang. Nah. They know. I, I say to them, does the racing car driver go and change the tyres? No. Well, I'm the racing car driver and they're my pit crew and I just click my fingers. I go, fill it up Mate. and they just run. <laughs> See, there's nothing wrong with that. What do I tell you? That's that's the best part about these events. Always someone to help you out. So, uh, I, no. I can't wait to get back. And, and I, Well, April, I think, might be the Wang Jets event, hopefully again, and, and it looks like we'll be – relatively free very soon as the vaccination rate gets all going yeah that kind of stuff so uh, absolutely we'll look we were, we were talking about even something you know like yeah ben style has a fair few events on and things like that and uh you know maybe going as a group to uh you know to these events and uh support the clubs and uh again they have a, a range of and there are a range of different you know types of events whether they're fun flyers or jet events or you know or just scale events whatever um and yeah we might need to do a little bit more traveling to be able to get the flying in so uh and, and that way we can all catch up so it would That's be good true. we've missed on a few you know the shepherd and mammoth event wasn't on which is a big disappointment no, i know but, uh, I, I like shepherd yeah it is it's another good good uh good weekend away so but anyway we'll, we'll look we've got something to look forward to and you know i'm running out of photos from an instagram page uh you know <laughs> i'm still recycling photos from two years ago and i really need to get out so i can't wait the first event i'm taking 2000 photos <laughs> well see there was like i know that before we ended this last lockdown see there was two good jet events um over at uh west uh, south australia which was um there was one of the uh, barossa uh, barossa valley which was uh, Thunder in the Valley. And then there was also Monato, um, one near Handorf, where there was a, a gen event there. When you start looking around to see what's see what is out there, you can go, yeah, you could do a lot. You could do a lot of uh, traveling around, which for me um, would be fantastic. So, uh, yes. I'm sort of thinking about when I retire and whether my wife will want to come with me. I'm very lucky. Yes, my, my wife does come with me. So, uh, yes, it works well. Well, she might change her tune. She might say, oh, you just go away with the boys and, and leave me alone and have a bit of me time. So, anyway. Yes. It all works fine. Now, the um, I, I've got to ask you this question, and this is the final question. This is the question that I ask everybody. It's my signature move, and everybody signature. wants to know Done. what the answer is. They can't wait. They all get excited. And that is, what has been your favourite all-time model? 
Okay, favourite all-time model, and look, I am going to go to the the later ones, um, even though I enjoyed a lot of my my prop stuff. Yes, I've got to say my car for Eurosport, definitely. That is my go-to plane, and it is my favourite. It is just the one I will fly in all weather conditions, and it is an absolute ripper. So, yes, that's my favourite, no doubt about it. Yeah, that Eurosport, when it comes to a turbine jet, it's just I've never flown one, but everybody says that they're just hey. awesome. And I do love the way they come into land with the nose up. Oh, like, nose yeah. up. And, that, and like that's the nothing you do. They, they do that automatically. Really? As soon as you pop yeah. those wheels down, um, yeah, they you know, they squat in the rear end of it and uh, they they high alpha approaches. They look fantastic. So, uh, yes, it's, that is that is my go-to and my favourite. Well, I hope uh, my friend Dominic, the head of the peanut gallery, is taking <laughs> note that when he dangles the Dunlops, the nose is going to come up. And um, I told you because I can see him now going, gee, the nose is a bit high and he's going to be pushing down, pushing down, and then he's going to nose it in So because he's a peanut. But anyway, hi, Dominic. <laughs> hope you're listening. He'll love it. 55 no, missed messages good. from Dominic. Yeah. That's why I there you the go. peanut gallery. Anyway, well, Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on the Flat Out RC podcast. I'm so glad I got you on. We have had, a, I really enjoyed my chat. You really, you've made my day. You, you give me oh. a pep in my step. But it's, it's a, it's an evening at the moment. It's what nine o'clock in the evening when we're recording this, and, uh, and uh, I'm feeling good. I'm not going to sleep now. So thanks for that. No, thank you, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat again. And I can't wait to catch up at our next, our next event we uh, see each oh, other at. So it'll be great. I am there. I am there. Let's do it. Okay, Mark. No worries. Hope to see you soon. No, thank you very much, Andrew. It was excellent. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Mark Stewart for joining me. Uh, it was really good to catch up uh, with Mark and, and just hear his story. As I've said quite often, that uh, there's a lot of people that I know in the hobby, but I don't really know them that well, know their backstory. You know, we just basically live in the moment when we're at the field and talk about what's in front of us. But uh, really, do we sit there and say, so how did you get into aero modeling and stuff like that? And so you get to get a better understanding of the person. So a um, big thank you to Mark for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast. Leave us some nice reviews. Helps. Uh, helps uh, the podcast kick along and don't forget whilst in the mood of subscribing instagram facebook youtube all there for you to jump on board as well i've calmed down from my earlier rant i'm still angry at my friends for flouting the laws flying clubs stay closed for another month or so we'll be back that's just my suggestions anyway hope you enjoyed the podcast i'll be back next week we're going to an international guest next week he's international but he's sort of local but I'll keep you hanging on that one. Talk to you next week. On the freeway, Bonnie and Clyde, a classic cliche. We're on the run. This is what we waited for.